Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us uh, and being a part of our church in, uh, and again, strange times, uh, strange situations. I, I really appreciate John continuing to be faithful and, and uh, serving uh, each one of us each week as uh, while he leads worship. It's just an amazing thing. So thank you, John, for all that you do. This morning, we're going to find ourselves back in Psalm 119. And as we look uh, at Psalm 119, we'll focus a little bit uh, more on verses 137 through 144. So Psalm 119, verses 137 through 144. David's dedication, as you're turning there, David's dedication to God's Word is truly an astounding dedication. It's something that we should all, I believe, strive for. So far in our survey of Psalm 119, we've seen that David uh, refers to God's Word uh, in many ways. One of those ways would be that uh, God's Word is a help. God's word is a help. Elsewhere, David would say in the Psalms that God himself is an ever-present help in a time of trouble, but but we also see that uh, God and his word are inseparable. What he does, he is the word. What he does is uh, is who he is. And so God is a help. We see that in Psalm 119, 147. We also see that God's word is a revival. God's word, or uh, maybe I should say God's word sparks revival. You'll find that in verses 149. Uh, God's word is also referred to as his truth in 151. It is everlasting in 152. God's word is a great treasure in verse 162. God's word also is peace and security as we see in verse 165. And we keep going with this. We see that God's word is the path to all understanding, verse 169, as well as God's word being deliverance. Now, I could spend, uh, I could spend a week on each of those ideas understanding how God's word is in fact a help or how God's word is in fact revival, how God's word is truth. And I believe that all of that would be extremely helpful. But this morning, we're going to, we're going to see that God's word is yet another thing. It's many other things actually, but we're going to see one more thing this morning uh, about God's word. Although this won't be novel, Uh, to many of you, or at least it's not a novel idea, what it means and how we respond to it might in fact be novel to you. In other words, it might be new to you as you hear what I am sharing with you. As we read, I want you to listen for uh, the idea that's repeated over and over in this small section of Scripture. Again, Psalm 119, starting at verse 137 and going through 144. These are the words of God. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. So you've commanded your testimonies inside of righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness 
is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Now, hopefully, uh, the word that was repeated five times in that small section of Scripture stood out to you. But even if it didn't, verse 144 is what I want you to focus on right now, which explicitly tells us what we're looking at. God's testimonies are righteous, church. God's testimonies are righteous. This idea of righteousness is like the many ideas that we read before. It is a help. It is revival. It is truth. It is everlasting. It is a great treasure. But just like all of those pieces, which again would warrant a sermon in and of themselves, uh, all of those pieces we have to define better. We need to know what we mean by God's word is revival. We need to know what we mean by God's word is truth. And uh, righteousness is no different. What do we mean by the term righteous or that God and his word are righteous? What does this mean? Now, I can give you a lexical definition. I can give you, you know, dictionary entry number one, the, the word is Hebrew, the Hebrew word, and it's pronounced Sadiq. And that Hebrew word Sadiq means just, innocent, the right, uh, in the right, upright, and devout. We can see that. That's why in uh, verse 137, we see that God, righteous are you, O Lord, uh, also includes the uprightness of his judgments or his word or his ways and upright are your judgments so we we see those things and that's really great but in order to truly understand what any word means in order to understand what any idea means we really need to go further we need to understand how the words are used in their sentences how the words are used within their context I quote Dr. Michael Heiser a lot, and, uh, and I have especially over the past several months, but Dr. Heiser somewhere, and I can't find my reference, but somewhere said that words don't mean anything. People mean things by words. Uh, I, I've loved that, that statement ever, ever since I heard it, but of course he goes on and says, yeah, of course there's a lexical definition to words, and words mean something, but each person, uh, as they use a word, means something by it. I want to give you a couple of examples, and maybe these will be humorous to you, but uh, if, you were to say, if you were to say that you needed or somebody needed to brand themselves in today's culture... Uh, the last thing you mean by that is to get a really hot iron and set it against your skin. <laughs> Instead, what you, what you know that means is that you're going to help, uh, that, that a person needs to build their reputation or build notoriety. They need to build recognition either for their self or for their product. That's what we, need, we mean by branding. You see, a word means something, but I mean something by the word I'm using. I mean something specific. Or, for example, Jesus is notorious for this. Inside of the New Testament, he'll say things like, I am the door, or I am the gate. And, and we go, what? Uh, what do you mean you're a door? What do you mean you're a gate? Well, just so everybody knows, Jesus is being literal in each of these situations. He is a door. He is a gate. He doesn't mean that he's a piece of wood that's set on hinges. He means that without him or without going through him, you can't enter into the rest that you're uh, that you're beckoned to enter into. So in that way, he is exactly what he says he is. So what we get here is that there is something that is meant by a word. 
And so this is what we need to do with things like righteousness. This is what we need to do with things like revival. This is what we need to do with things like truth. We need to understand what is meant by the terms as the author uses them. So we're going to walk through uh, verses 137 through 144, and we're going to see that righteousness is far bigger than what we initially think. Okay, it's far bigger than what we initially think. So, so here are the words again, or here, here is verse 137 again for, for you to, to take into consideration. Uh, verse 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. The highlights here are the word righteous, of course. Righteous are you, Lord, and upright are your judgments. Because what did we, what did we learn? We learned that righteous actually means upright. But interestingly enough, the term upright here in the Hebrew is another term. So there we go. We're back to we mean things by the words we're using. And here, uh, David puts them in parallel with each other. He tells us that God is righteous, whatever that means. And he tells us that God's judgments, God's word, God's law, God's statutes, all of that is upright as well or righteous as well. But when we zoom in, I think we get a better picture. So here's what I want you to see. The word righteous, again, plays out in in a certain way based on the text in which it is used. Let's, let's take a step back to the, the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah, Israel had come out of Babylonian captivity and they had rebuilt the temple and many stayed in Babylon, but there were many who came back and they lived in this promised place. So Ezra chapter 9, verse 15, here's what, here's what the word of God says. It says, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. Great, we've got that. We could just substitute upright there and feel like we're doing, uh, you know, the Bible a good service. But we might not be. And listen, listen to what he goes on to say. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left an escaped remnant. As it is this day, behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this. Okay, this is really interesting because what is said about righteousness here is not, hey God, you're upright, moving on. Instead, there is a God, you're upright, God, you are righteous, but here's why. And this defines what we need to know about living in righteousness as we walk out our days following Jesus. It says that God, the God of Israel, is righteous, but why is he righteous? Because he left an escaped remnant. So Ezra just said that God is righteous because he showed mercy. That's strange because most of us put righteousness in this context of dropping the hammer, of judgment, of justice, and it is that. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of God's word is truth. So we have to understand the whole of God's word to understand all of the definitions of righteousness. But in this context, Ezra says to God that he is righteous because he left an escaped remnant, because he had mercy on them. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you'll understand that this is actually a part in uh, the Ezra-Nehemiah story in which Ezra is leading the, the nation of Israel in repentance because they came back from exile and walked in sin yet again. The remnant walked in sin. 
I love it when I talk to people about soteriology. I love it when I talk to people about, about these ideas of God keeping us and saving us and, and securing us. And, and people come to this conclusion that once, if you're a part of the remnant, it's all good. You, you'll be good. You won't ever have a problem ever again. God's remnant Israel was sinful as they were when they left. It's unbelievable. So they come back and they started intermarrying again with foreign people. What was God's purpose in uh, his uh, prohibition about intermarrying? That God's people, his chosen covenant people Israel, would be set apart. A priesthood uh, to bring blessing to all the nations. But if they polluted that, if they corrupted that, it became dangerous. And God got left in the the background, right? So they come back from exile and they do it again. And you can read it for yourself in Ezra 9, but they do it again. And Ezra is tearing his clothes and sitting in sackcloth and ashes because they're walking in this again. But what am I, what am I talking about with righteousness? What I'm talking about with righteousness is that Ezra finds it fitting to declare righteous because he left that escaped remnant, sinful as they are. So what is all of this? See, God is righteous because God is faithful and remains faithful even when the people falter. These people had fallen short of everything. They went right back to the, reason, back to the sins that caused them to be uh, sent into exile to begin with. And God remains faithful. You, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this. So right away, we see righteousness in a different light. God is not only upright in the decisions he makes against wickedness, he is also upright and good when he chooses to show mercy to those he shows mercy. That's amazing. So this is righteousness. Nehemiah parallels this, because Ezra and Nehemiah, at one point in Jewish history, has Matter of fact, in most Jewish Bibles, you'll see Ezra and Nehemiah as one book. But Nehemiah records the same situation. He says, however, you are just in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. So what is, what is Nehemiah's take on the righteousness of God or the justice of God, the uprightness of God? His take is that God is faithful. Remember that when it comes to righteousness. You, you and I, as we live out being righteous and, and honoring God by living in an upright fashion, whatever God asks us to be, we are mimicking him. That's what he means by these terms, not just what the lexicon says. So we go on from this to Psalm 116, verse 5. Look at what the word of God says here. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. What does David compare righteousness with? Graciousness and compassion. I don't know when the last time you thought of righteousness through those terms. But most of us think of it as just being right. I am right. I am upright. I have it figured out. I am walking purely before God. Yes, and God says that compassion is a part of walking purely before him. So we see that in Psalm 116. We move on to Psalm 129, verse 4. The Lord is righteous. 
He has cut in two the cords of the wicked. Now there's the word righteous that I'm familiar with. God cuts the righteous in two. That sounds like a wonderful thing. Yes, but righteousness is also being compassionate according to God. That is righteousness. What a powerful way to look at righteousness. Let's move on from there to Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. He's righteous, he's upright, but kindness is attached to this in what David says. Let's go even further. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, and this just makes my heart sing in this because I have shared with you many times before, I like to ask questions. And I ask lots of questions of God. As I'm reading his word, I'm going, okay, Lord, you're going to have to make sense of this for me. I need help. Here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my cause with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? It is the righteousness of God that allows Jeremiah to come before God and actually discuss matters of justice with him. There are many in the church today that basically view God this way, that says, he says what he says, and he doesn't want to hear your back talk. Children should be seen and not heard, and God thinks the same way. Not according to the scriptures. Not according to David, not according to Jeremiah. He is actually righteous. What's the definition of righteous? That he entertains us. He listens to us. He discusses matters of justice with us. That right there is powerful, that God wants that kind of relationship with his people. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times where we see things like what we read in Job, where Job uh, begins to kind of lament and bemoan his circumstances, and God says, who is this idiot standing before me? (laughs) Right? So sometimes God goes, I don't have much patience for your nonsense. But he is wanting to, according to Jeremiah, he's wanting to listen to us and discuss matters of justice. Here's why I believe that is. I believe that's the case because God wants wants to teach us how his justice works. He wants to teach us why he makes the decisions that he does. He wants to teach us to make those decisions in ourselves as well. We are supposed to be like our Heavenly Father, right? So we're supposed to look like Him. We're supposed to reflect Him into the world. What better way to do that than to be just or righteous as He is? And so He says to Jeremiah a powerful thing here. He says, listen, I, or Jeremiah says it to God, he said, I love the fact that your righteousness means that you discuss matters of justice with me. This is This is important as I see it. So let's move on from Jeremiah to Jeremiah's lament, Lamentations 1.18. Here's what Jeremiah says there. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my pain. My virgins, or young women, and my young men have gone into captivity. Notice that the same Jeremiah that says, you will discuss terms of, of justice with me, is also the Jeremiah who understands God's righteousness as, I'm going to discipline you as well, and I'm going to send you into captivity. Because this is God's righteousness, and it's okay for us to see both sides of this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, says this, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame. (laughs) Wow. 
That's pretty powerful. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, this is all God's covenant people, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because they were sent into exile, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Notice the contrast. Righteousness of God and open shame belonging to us. Notice the parallel. Open shame is faithlessness among God's people. So then, what is the natural opposite of that for God? God, we are open we have open shame and we are faithless. God is righteous, which means he is faithful. He is faithful. So what we're seeing here is that righteousness has a much bigger picture than just, hey, God's upright. You see, that word means something, but the Bible writers mean something by those words. And we only understand that when we connect all the dots, when we read the context, when we put things in their right setting. And so what we've seen now is that God is many things. God is upright. God is righteous proper in that way. But his righteousness is faithfulness to his people. His righteousness is compassion. His righteousness is kindness. His righteousness is also justice to the wicked. His righteousness is keeping a remnant, even though they're sinful and broken. Huh. That's an amazing picture of righteousness. I want to be that. But here's what I've realized when I think about that level of righteousness. I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. Because oftentimes when a person wrongs me or when somebody is doing something wrong, I don't want to look at it through the lens of show compassion to them and woo them back to uh, the, the joy of the Lord. Instead, it's write them off and walk away. You notice that God gives this uh, covenant promise to us as New Testament believers when he says uh, that he has cleansed, of, cleansed us of all unrighteousness, but then he says, if you sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. You're going, what? Like you, you, you washed us clean of sin, but now you're going to, you're even going to allow us to sin again, but you're going to remain faithful? All of that displays the glory of God. It displays the righteousness of God. It displays the faithfulness of God. And that is what we are called to imitate. That's a big picture as far as I see it. So let's move into verse 138. David goes back, 119, 138, says, You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness. This is where they come from. All of those things that we talked about, faithfulness and compassion and grace as well as justice, he made all of his commands within that framework and exceeding faithfulness. There's one of those parallels for it. Let's turn to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9 says this. I'm not bringing that up very clearly, but it's okay. I'll put it on the screen for you. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. Rejoicing the, heart. the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. 
Now, think about this in light of 138. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness. He's commanded us to follow after him, to to do his word and to do his will. And all of that has been spoken within this context. It's all been spoken within the context of cleanliness. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. Your judgments uh, are true. All of these pieces are elements that we need to walk by every day of our lives. So, so when the scripture tells us that God has commanded his testimonies in righteousness, he's commanded them in purity and truth. This is an expanded definition of righteousness. This is what we need to understand. Verse 144 of this same exact psalm, Psalm 119 verse 144 says, Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. It's the testimonies of God that are pure and true and right. That's a definition of righteousness. So 138, you have commanded your testimonies in righteousness. And again, you can look up Psalm 119, 172. It will give you uh, more to understand on that. And exceeding faithfulness. Here are a couple of references for you. I won't go to them, but Psalm 119, verse 86, as well as Psalm 119, verse 90. That's all fit within this. And we've talked about it over the past couple of weeks. So let's move on to verse 139. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Now, there's a lot to understand about this verse uh, because the NASB, uh, this is one of those areas where I think the NASB, although it allows the footnote to be in there, or it puts the footnote in there, it really does need to be changed in its, in its rendering. This is what maybe the King James will say or the New King James will say, and it says this, My zeal has put an end to me. Okay, that that paints a very different picture of zeal. My zeal has consumed me. That sounds like a guy who's just raging and being zealous and being awesome. (laughs) But the picture of the zeal of David actually is that his zeal has caused him to have enemies. This is an important piece. This is an important piece for all of us in, in learning how to walk in righteousness because we are going to have enemies if we understand God's word the way it's to be understood. If we are righteous as God is righteous, if we are just as God is just, if we are faithful, if we are compassionate, if we are kind, we are going to uh, have our zeal become an end for us, okay? So let me, let me explain it. My zeal has put an end to me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Okay, let's render it the, the, the previous way and show you that it doesn't quite make any sense. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries forgot your words? So is David saying, I'm excited about your word because everybody else forgot about it? No, David's already told us that he loves God's word. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. David is for God and his word. Instead, the right rendering, my zeal has put an end to me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. That paints the right picture because what is the because there for? The because tells us in light of them refusing to walk in God's word, David's own people, Israel, have turned against him. It is his walking in righteousness, biblically understood, not lexically understood, but biblically understood, that has caused people to reject him and to push him away. You know that Jesus tells us the same thing if we're really walking in the word of the Lord? If we're really walking in righteousness? He says, uh, you will uh, face trouble in this world. You will. 
One of the reasons why we don't face trouble in this world is because we actually don't walk in the ways of the word. We're not facing trouble because we look just like the trouble, (laughs) okay? So we're not walking in that so we don't face trouble. We're also not quite walking in that trouble because the church for a long time has misunderstood the way we're supposed to walk in. We're we're basically living in ignorance. Well, we're just going to do what's right in our own eyes and figure this whole thing out in the end. No. No, we're to do what's right in God's eyes. We're to submit to that and put our trust in that. So David says, my zeal has consumed me because my adversaries forgot your words. Now, we remember these terms. Psalm 69 tells us specifically, and I want to I wanna zoom in from Psalm 69 to verses 7 through 9. Here's what, here's what Psalm, uh, David says as well in this psalm. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect, church. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. I've read this before, but the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and are righteous altogether. What am I pointing out in this passage? That the zeal that is supposed to consume us is this, that God's law is perfect. It restores our soul. We should want God's law and his word in our life. His testimonies are sure, and they make wise the simple. Why would we not want to go after them? Why would we not want to be zealous for these truths? We should want to be zealous for these truths. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I shared it last week. We say things like this, and I'm going I'm to uh, throw a dart at Mr. Mark Williams this morning, but we say things like this. Listen, I, I, I love God's word, but I don't always like it. Nonsense. Nonsense. Right? What is a right disposition towards, towards, towards the word of God? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Our hearts should rejoice in the precepts of God. This is the level of zeal that should consume us, church. So, my zeal has consumed me. Okay, Turn to John chapter 2, verse 17. John 2, 17. This is what was true of Jesus himself. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for the house, for your house, God's house, will consume me. What's the context of this? Jesus has just turned the tables in the temple. Why did Jesus turn the tables in the temple? Because Jesus was was facing the exact same thing that David was facing in Psalm 119, 139. The zeal of the Lord put an end to him, didn't it? They hung him on a cross. Why? Because his adversaries had forgotten his words. They had turned the temple into a den of robbers. They had turned it into a place of business. And God said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. So he goes in and he flips the tables. What is Jesus walking in right there? Righteousness. Why is he walking in righteousness? Because he's zealous for the word of God. What does it mean for him to be zealous for the word of God? He is passionate about God's word. It consumes his heart. It moves him forward every day. We're a far cry from I love the word of God, I just don't like it all the time, to I let it motivate me enough to turn tables out of zeal. That's what we're called to. And guess what the natural end of that will be, church? 
The natural end of that will be that people won't like what we have to say. They will not like when you say, but this is sin, and God says stop. We will not li- people won't like that. They won't like it. We won't like it. When we realize that we are in a, a, a journey towards, uh, towards eternity that is a race to the back of the line, a way that we can serve others, we have to put ourselves in last place, coming under all those around us. Well, I don't like that. Well, many people on all kinds of sides don't like that idea. They think somehow it abdicates our responsibility or our role and, and makes us too weak. Other times people say, well, that's just not, that's not a right rendering of the word of God. Yes, we're in a race to the back of the line. How do we come under one another? We serve them. And we serve them according to God's terms of righteousness, compassion, kindness, faithfulness. This is what we're called to do, church. So th- this is much bigger than we've understood. We just Here's what we do. We, we get a term in the Bible, and we look up the definition. This is why word studies are a good thing, but they're the beginning of your study. They, it has to go further than this, right? Because you can look at a word study, and what you find in a lexicon, this is just geeky stuff that'll help you in your study. But when you open your Strong's Concordance, and when you go in the Blue Letter Bible, and you bring up the lexicons, or you, you have digital software like I do, and you go through d- different things, Understand that the words that are given there as definitions were given there by interpreters based on context. They're giving their best understanding of what the word meant when it was said. Read it for yourself. Because there are many times where we, what we do is we just plug in a, in a word. We just say righteousness means being upright. God's word says righteousness means being faithful. Well, that expands it quite a bit for me. That changes how I live my life. And so I want to be faithful. Uh, it, it says that righteousness is also compassion. Okay? That changes it for me. I want righteousness to be dropping the hammer. <laughs> that sounds cool to me. <laughs> but that's not what God's word says at every time, at every turn. So it's really important. So let's get back to 139. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries forgot your words. My zeal has brought an end to me. My walking after you, mimicking you, looking like you has made enemies of me. This is what we should do, church. We're not trying to make enemies. We're trying to please our Heavenly Father. He told us it's inevitable. We will have trouble in this life. We don't have trouble because we're not submitting. We don't have trouble. I'm not saying we should go out looking for trouble either. I'm simply saying we don't face persecution Because we don't look much like our Christ. Verse 139 goes on to 140. It says, your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it and likes it. Mark Williams. Anyway, so therefore, (laughs) your servant loves it and likes it. But look at this. This is so cool. First of all, your word here is often rendered, because there are different renderings for word and, and uh, precepts and all of these you know, uh, uh, testimonies. There are different Hebrew words for them. And this is also a word that's often rendered throughout Scripture as promises. Your promise is very pure. What does it mean by pure? Your promise is very refined. Very refined? What do we mean by very refined? This, this should really make your heart sing. This should make your, 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 uh, your light bulbs go off as you, as you think about God's word. Turn to Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, verse 6. 
The words of the Lord are pure. Well, we just read that. Your word is very pure. Let it keep going. Listen to what he says. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. We live in a culture today where we are all looking for good advice. We're looking for expert opinions. Think about this in the midst of the pandemic that we're in right now. All we want is for somebody to tell us the absolute facts. We want to know what we should do so we can open our churches back up, so we can go back to work, so we can be safe, so we can care for others. We want absolute facts. The problem that we have is that we keep hearing humans who fall short. They, they, they come up with, this one has an opinion, this one's weighted because of their agenda and they have an opinion, or because of their bias and they have an opinion, but we're all hungry for this. God says this of his word, God's word is pure. It's not just any kind of pure. It is seven times purified like silver pure. Seven is the term for completeness or perfection in the scripture, which means that God's word is refined, not that it had to go through a refining process. This is written here for our understanding. It is pure to the perfect level. We're looking for advice. We're looking for understanding. We're looking for authority. And the last thing we consider to uh, give us counsel oftentimes is God's word. Why is that? David says that if we're a righteous people, we'll be zealous. What are we zealous for? God's righteousness, God's word, which is righteousness. What does it mean? Why would we be zealous for it? Because it is pure. It is perfectly pure. If you really want to know what help looks like, look to God's word. Stop asking the gurus in the world. Stop looking to Facebook and social media and all these things. You will not find the, hope you're, the help you're looking for there. If you really want to seek revival, it's amazing. The church cries out for this all the time. And I shared this on the live feed just the other day, that the church conflates uh, revival, with, uh, revival with revolution. It conflates reformation with revolution as well. And we have a real problem with this. We are a people hungry for revival. Guess what the word of God says? It says that the word of God is revival. What does that mean? It means submit to the word of God and you will have revival. The church goes, we want revival. Preachers stand up and they say, we'll do what God says. And we go, we want revival. (laughs) And we say, we'll do what God's word said. And people go, got any other options? We want revival. We want revival. We want revival. Do what God says. Why? This advice is pure. This advice is pure seven times over, church. This is truth. God's word is truth. Okay, you want to find truth? There's no greater truth than his word. It is perfectly purified truth. That's what the scripture tells us. It's everlasting, perfectly purified, never falters. It never returns void. It is a great treasure. It is peace and security. It is a path to understanding. It is deliverance church. We want all of those things. And yet our Bibles sit on their shelves collecting dust. We want all of those things, and instead of getting in our car and listening to an audio Bible or, or sitting down at the table with our families in the evening and talking through God's Word, instead what we do is we occupy ourselves through the television. We occupy ourselves through the radio. We listen to all the chaos that's going on in the world. We're hoping that at the next news broadcast we hear, we'll finally get the help we need during pandemics and during chaos and crisis in our life. But what we need to do is press mute and open the book. 
That's what we're called to do. Church, listen, it tells us very clearly that God's word, which is righteousness, righteousness as per the Bible's definition, is pure. And look at what David says next. This is the, this is the reason why he trusts it. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Why? It never let David down. The word of God won't let you down. We won't even give it a shot. But it will not let you down. It is powerful, church. It will change and transform who you are. So the word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Look at Psalm 19, verse 8. This is really cool. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. (laughs) My goodness. Do I want my heart to rejoice? Good. I need to open up God's precepts. Open up his word. I need to trust it. That's what the scripture tells us. It tells us very clearly how beautiful it is. Psalm 119, verse 147, just a couple of verses down, which we touched on yesterday. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. This is is the sound of somebody who loves God's word. From morning to evening, I'm focused on it. From morning to evening. But you see, that is to be understood the same way that the Apostle Paul's statement of, I pray without ceasing it. That these things are ever present on our lips, in our minds, in our eyes. It does not mean quit your day job and just look at the Bible all day. That's that's not what it's about. Remember that back in these cultures, a large part of the, of the population was just simply audible. You know, they, they listened to the word of God. They heard the word of God. And so they had to memorize these things and they meditated on it. That's what we should do. We should find passages of scripture that in their right context, but we should find passages of scripture that speak of God's faithfulness, of his righteousness, of his justice, and we should meditate on them day and night. When you're at work and somebody's running off the, you know, the head about something, something, you need to have something in your mind that comes quickly to you that says, you know what? I'm at peace. I'm at peace. God has me. He loves me. He's for me. I'm going I'm to meditate on this truth over and over. You need to have those things in your life. So verse 140, your word is very pure. Therefore, in light of that, your servant loves it. We should love his word. And now you have a reason to love it. It is pure, refined like Earthly silver, seven times over, perfectly refined. Verse 141, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. You know, David was, David was ousted in many occasions in his life. He was rejected by his very own, and all of these different things had happened to him, and it, and it created a lot of tension in his life and a lot of brokenness in his life. But he ran to God, and he said, you know what? I'm despised. I may be small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. This is where we all uh, need to take heed. Many of us feel that we're in this small or despised position in our life. Why is it that things haven't turned out a certain certain way, God? Why is it that things aren't moving forward in a certain way uh, for my family or for myself, God? What, what's going on here? Number one, be careful about selfish ambition. God's word tells us that's a, that's a big no-no. But, but when, we are, when we have a godly ambition, when we are pursuing his kingdom, and we're wondering, like David was, and we're wondering why we feel despised and why we feel so small, we should take solace in this. 
Not some preacher's nonsense that you're going to be, you're going to be an overcomer and you're going, to, you're going to gain victory. And what that means is you're going to be, you're going to be the, the most no, no, notorious Christian that has ever walked the face of the planet. That probably won't happen. I'll just be the honest pastor. You will probably live in your local community and influence the people around you all the days of your life. That's probably it, okay? It's really rare to do something otherwise than that. But that shouldn't panic you. And let me tell you why it shouldn't panic you. Because David understood this. I am small and despised. He was king. Like this guy wasn't small according to us, but he felt himself to be small. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. In light of how small I feel, I take comfort in your word. Church, it doesn't matter how big or famous or special uh, the world thinks we are. It matters how big and famous and special God says we are. He's the one who declared us to be his children. Let's, Let's accept that. Let's trust his word. Let's rest in that. I don't, I don't know what to do about all of the, the real nice things we like to tell each other about how we're going to be, you know, we're going to be champions of something someday and God has great things planned for you. He does. A relationship with his son, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. And that's not somebody saying, you should give up on your dreams. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. What I'm telling you is if your dreams are not Jesus, if your dreams are not the law of truth, if your dreams are not the precepts of the Lord, your dreams are skewed. Your dreams are off. I know that that ruffles feathers, but you'll be all right. Put some, put some aloe on it. Anyway, verse 141. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Your compassion, your faithfulness, your sense of charity, your keeping a remnant, all of those pieces, they're everlasting. And we're to be those people, right? Because God's word means something by the words it uses. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Verse 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Here's how I want to conclude all this and wrap everything up. I want you to understand that the word of God uses terms like righteousness, like revival, like, uh, like help, like word or statutes. And it means something by those words every time. Do yourself a favor, study God's word, give yourself to this truth, and understand what is meant. Don't take the lexicon definition, just wholesale. Look at it, find out where it's the same, where it's different, where it kind of means that, but find out where it means what it should mean in its context. And then ask yourself the question, do I understand it that way? Righteousness is one of those pieces. When we understand righteousness, again, as faithfulness, and justice. When we understand righteousness as God having compassion and keeping a remnant, I want to be righteous like my king. I want to be righteous like that. So I encourage you, study God's word, give your heart to it, try to understand the words that are actually written on the page in the context in which they're written. It will fundamentally transform your life because when you do that, you will have the heart of David. And here's the heart of David. He understood that the Word of God was his delight. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. 
We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.